This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And away we go. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come warm yourself by the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. We are coming to you from our flagship station, Zuma Radio, here in the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto. 50,000 watts of peace and love. Victor Vigiani, executive director of Zeland Communications and noted UFO disclosure advocate, uh, is standing by. Bob Mitchell, author of notable UFO books as uh, Incident at Pleasant Ridge, a Canadian UFO mystery, uh, Intrusion, Alien Encounters, and his latest, What If? Close Encounters of the Unusual Kind. Well, that's the latest UFO book. Uh, There's also a time travel book, and that's for another show. Uh, But we will usher in uh, Victor and Bob here momentarily. Uh, Ian Robertson is here on the other side of the glass, twisting the knobs and dials. And Albert, of course, is here running our HOA. That's Hangout On Air. And if you want to live stream this radio program on YouTube, uh, just go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, S as in Simon, Y-R-E-T-T, at Richard Serrett. And then you go to the top or near the top of the Twitter feed, and you'll see a, a, a tweet with an HOA, capital H-O-A. Just click on it. Nothing could be simpler, and uh, that will get you into the live stream. And it's a great, it's a great night to stream us on, on YouTube because we actually have some bodies here in the studio, and you don't just have to look at my ginormous head all night. We've got, uh, we've got company. All right, so we're all on our best behavior, including you, Albert. A great event uh, last night at the University of Toronto with uh, David uh, Politis, author of the Missing 411 series of books. You've heard him on Coast to Coast with George Knapp umpteen times uh, about all of these, not just strange, I mean disturbing uh, disturbances, clusters of disappearances uh, in the national park systems, for example, other places too, but um, the national park systems primarily. And I got to tell you, all those in attendance at the J.J.R. McLeod Auditorium last night were on the edge of their seat, and I don't know if any of them will go camping again. That's all I'm going to tell you about that. But it was an amazing presentation. And as I say, it was so disturbing and so creepy. In fact, Albert Vinzel, my producer, refused to go. 
I mean, you get free tickets, Albert, to these events, and he said, no, I'm not going. This one, this one is a little too creepy. Uh, now, having said that, get on up to the live events page at strangeplanet.ca, and you'll notice there's another live event uh, next in line there, just below last night's event, uh, and I'm going to be participating in this one. It's June 24th, 25th, and 26th in my old stomping grounds, the Telephone City, Brantford, Ontario, just about an hour plus uh, down the, uh, the 403. And uh, it's called the Alien Cosmic Expo. Now, let me give you a brief sort of synopsis. Friday, uh, there is uh, an experiencers forum, if you will, uh, for all of those who have stories to tell and share about their UFO ET encounters. Uh, That's on the Friday. Also on the Friday, uh, there is a a screening of a brand-new documentary film about Travis Walton, arguably one of the most celebrated alien abductees. You know, you've got Betty and Barney Hill, and then you've got Travis Walton. Uh, so the uh, the screening of that film, which I believe is uh, directed by Jennifer Stein, and uh, she's done a lot of great work in uh, with crop circles and so forth. So that's on the Friday. And then on the Saturday, uh, this is where I come in. I'll, I'm, I've been uh, asked, and I'm honored to do so, to moderate an ED, ET disclosure hearing. And it's going to feature a veritable who's who in the UFO disclosure research field, including uh, Richard Dolan, Nick Pope, Stanton Friedman, Grant Cameron, the Honorable Paul Hellyer, uh, the aforementioned Travis Walton, and the two gentlemen that join me here tonight, Victor Vigiani and Bob Mitchell. And they'll be squaring off against a panel of skeptical journalists. And in many ways, this is going to mirror the... uh, the, uh, the UFO disclosure hearings that happened down in Washington, D.C. several years ago, but instead of former members of the House of Representatives or former congressmen, we'll have these skeptical journalists, and they'll be asking questions. Anyway, I'll be moderating that, and again, that's on Saturday the 25th. All right, so we're going to talk about uh, the um, Alien Cosmic Expo. We'll talk about disclosure and uh, the mainstream media and their handling of this whole issue over the next uh, 40 minutes or so. So we'll, uh, having said that, Bob Mitchell is here. He's a Canadian author, journalist. He covered crime and sports for the Toronto Star for more than 35 years. He's the author of seven books. Actually, it's eight, I believe. Now it's eight. And uh, he's writing one right now as I speak. So before, it might be nine. (laughs) Uh, Bob's um, books include, as I mentioned earlier, Incident at Pleasant Ridge, a Canadian UFO mystery, uh, Intrusion Alien Encounters, What If, Close Encounters of the Unusual Kind. He's an executive with MUFON Canada. His other books include The Class Project, How to Kill a Mother, a story of Canada's infamous bathtub girls, which was turned into the Perfect Sisters motion picture starring Abigail Breslin and others. He's the, the author of the true crime book, Deadly Defiance, the story of Canadian honor killing and in plain sight before 9-11, the story of, the, of an American black militant who was on the run for 30 years after pulling off the only successful airplane hijacking in Canadian history. Wow, what an incredible and varied career. He also continues to be a freelance journalist and media consultant. And as I said, he will be on that uh, panel at the uh, AC Alien Cosmic Expo coming up in, in June. And Bob, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. My pleasure being here, Richard. You know, I, over the last, uh, I guess, several months, uh, myself and my co-writer of our latest book, Forbidden Knowledge, 
revelations of a multidimensional time traveler. We've been on just about every radio late night show in North America, but one in Toronto. So, well, I'm, who's I'm, that moron <laughs> that didn't have you on? I don't know, but there are not many in Canada, though. I mean, we've been on the one in Vancouver with David Scott, but. Uh, uh, it's a pleasure to be in, in really my hometown because I was born in Toronto and raised in Toronto. So um, I'm very happy to be here and for the Canadian listeners. And my pleasure. And uh, we're going to have you back. I think, uh, well, you and Albert will talk, but I think, I think Ju- we're having you back July in July. 17th, July 17th. Yeah. All right. And we'll, we'll talk time travel, which is, you know, one of my favorite topics. Right. And the, uh, the gentleman seated to your right needs no introduction, so I won't bother. <laughs> Let's just you and I will talk. Okay. How's that, Bob? Uh, Vic- good, good with me. <laughs> Victor Vigiani. I have lots to say. <laughs> <laughs> Victor's research and analysis of anomalous aerial phenomenon spans over 30 years. His experience involves UFO sightings report investigation, counseling work with individuals reporting anomalous experiences, presentations, and journalism's, journalism in the field of uh, ET disclosure issues. Uh, extensive UFO, UFO research has been completed throughout the southwestern USA in locations such as Groom Lake, Nevada, Corona, Roswell, uh, the Very Large Array Telescope, uh, White Sands, Los Alamos, uh, on and on it goes. Northeastern Australia, he has been everywhere, man. His published work includes Area 51, A Desert Journey, Alien Abduction Symposium, and a review of Alien Abduction Dialogue between Dr. John Mack and Bud Hopkins' Disclosure, A Terrestrial Imperative, a series of professional articles in educational journals on student discipline, classroom management, teacher supervision, and curriculum development. And, of course, he is the news director for Zeland Communications. Victor, hello, how are you? Just fine, and who are you talking about, really? (laughs) I'm out of breath listening (laughs) to that. Wasn't this how we we rehearsed it? We rehearsed it. Yeah, that's all done very well. Great to be here. My pleasure. Mm -hmm. All right, so... uh, Let's talk about June twenty fifth because that's the uh, the 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 evening that we're the the afternoon that we're all involved with, mm-hmm. and this is the the uh, UFO disclosure hearing. Uh, and I mentioned the, the sort of the parallel between w- what's going to happen on that Saturday, mm-hmm. the twenty fifth of June, and what happened in Washington. Just let's just dial back to what happened in Washington, and this was sort of Stephen yeah. Bassett's uh, initiative. <clears throat> this you know the the public inquiry into yeah. the uh, the UFO ET issue. Well, I was there for all five days, and um, Stephen and his the people that organized it were very committed to make sure that a mock hearing of some type happened. And uh, actually, when Steve was up in 2005, when Paul Hillier came forward, uh, Mr. Bassett was one of the key keynote speakers there. And um, he and I, during the three or four days that he was uh, in Toronto, he, he stayed at my place, and he said, you know what, one day, one day, I'm going to have a congressional hearing. And this is like back in 2005. Right. And uh, I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, we just need, if the government's not going to do it, maybe we should do it. And so he's been throwing around that idea for about seven or eight years before he actually pulled it off. And um, it did come to fruition over five days in Washington, D.C. at the National Press Club. And it was an amazing event, an absolutely Stunning event, a huge room, the same kind of the same room that uh, John F. Kennedy and, and Eisenhower spoke to the press at, and so he really uh, put forward a riveting, uh, riveting experience. Being there all five days, you get to see these people stand up and give their um, give their testimony under oath before uh, six uh, former uh, members of Congress and one senator, uh, Mike Gravel. It was a, an experience that I'll never ever forget. 
And so uh, I threw around an idea in my own head. I said, well, you know, maybe we need another approach. First of all, uh, it has to be someplace else other than the United States. Uh, because the brick wall media there, uh, the glass ceiling that exists there, is is just almost impenetrable. And Steve did his best to get press coverage, but it really didn't happen the way he wanted it to. The expectation was that this was going to push the mm-hmm. needle in terms of disclosure. Right. And after yeah. these slack-jawed uh, former members of Congress were sitting around catching flies mm-hmm. – this was supposed to be it, right? The yeah. Washington Post and the New York Times were supposed to jump on board and blow yeah. this thing wide open. Yeah. And it never it happened. It didn't happen. He got some coverage, uh, and, and it was good. Uh, but it didn't, like you say, you know, it didn't blow the lid off yeah. things. What we're trying to do, what Bob and I are attempting to do, is, is uh, bring together some journalists to challenge, skeptical journalists to challenge what we feel are uh, six or seven of the top people on the planet. Uh, mm. on all the, the, the whole range of issues that, that, uh, that each one of these experts has. And if we can get the, uh, the right questions asked by these journalists, A, that's the first uh, uh, sort of direction we're going, and then B, to get them to actually write about it, get it into the newspapers, get it into the mainstream, and do something about it in a concrete way to challenge the government. He said, listen, you know, we want answers about this. So we feel going through um, uh, journalists and journalism and the mainstream media the way we are, we've already got one for sure mainstream media uh, person on, on the panel and others too. And we feel that that is the best way to go about this in terms of getting the information. And we've already had two or three articles written uh, to this point already. What is this with 24th to 25th of May? Right. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's heading in the right direction, and we think this is the way to go. All right. We're heading into a break, Bob, but let me just ask you. Okay. I mean, uh, we'll pick this up on the other side, but let's start the conversation now. You toiled in the, the vineyards of mainstream uh, journalism for, for many, many years, many years, a crime writer, a sports writer. Uh, What's wrong with your colleagues in the mainstream media? Why don't they get it? Well, you know, I think they won't get it until somebody stands up who is somebody outside the realm of UFOs. Somebody like Paul Hellyer stood up, but he stood up as a former defense minister. It's going to take somebody who's in the government right now to stand up and say, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to wake up. We've been lying to you all these times. Alien, there is an alien presence on Earth. It has been here for decades, and this is what's going on. Uh, until somebody like that stands up, uh, I think, you know, even our alien uh, ET hearing will get coverage that day. And but after that weekend, it'll just go away again until something else happens. Uh, that's the unfortunate part. All that, right, that you know. And we can talk about that after the break. And we shall. Bob Mitchell, Victor Vigiani, we're talking the Alien Cosmic Expo, Disclosure, and What the Heck is Wrong with the Mainstream Media. Back with more in a moment. Peering into the shadows, where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. PIN numbers, passcodes, social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are, here's two more numbers. 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. All right. uh, Welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. Bob Mitchell, uh, author, 
journalist, UFO disclosure advocate, and Victor Vigiani, uh, likewise, UFO disclosure advocate, uh, both panelists at the uh, upcoming Alien Cosmic Expo in Brantford, June 24, 25, 26. Now, here's, uh, we were talking about the mainstream media and their reluctance uh, to weigh in uh, or to wade into uh, the reads, if you will, but um, occasionally uh, the story sort of breaks through that glass ceiling. Here's one from the Toronto Sun. On Monday, May 16th, the truth about UFOs is out there. Toronto, UFO buffs will be over the moon if Democrat Hillary Clinton is elected the next U.S. president. Clinton has said that as long as national security isn't compromised, she would open she would be open to declassifying files. These, these would include uh, documents from Area 51, the Nevada U.S. Air Force Base, considered by UFO believers to be the high temple of secret UFO activity. It's a fairly short article, uh, and it goes on uh, and mentions some of the, uh, the panelists, uh, including Grant Cameron and uh, Stanton Friedman, uh, who will be part of the uh, Alien Cosmic Expo. And uh, noticeably absent from the, uh, the, uh, the article, as far as I can tell, is, is sarcasm, actually, which is kind of, uh, <laughs> I guess, a bit of a sea change. Bob Mitchell, yeah. we were talking earlier about what is it going to take to get the, the mainstream media on board. And here we have, how did, who's responsible for getting uh, Kevin uh, Connor? Uh, that would be you, Victor. Victor. Uh, how, did you, how did you convince him to write this? It was just a cold call. Um, he, we sent out, it's either Bob or myself, connected one way or another yeah. with all the journalists. Hundreds, hundreds Literally of uh, hundreds. emails. So um, I, got a, I was sitting working one day and I got a, an email, Mr. Vigiani, uh, we'd like to talk to you about uh, this. I'm from the Toronto Sun, so forth. And uh, I said, yeah, sure, call me. And within, an, within 15 minutes, he was on the phone. We chatted for about 45 minutes, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite a lengthy interview. And he said, well, what I need to do is talk to some of the panelists. Right. So I gave him the information about uh, Stanton. I gave everybody so na- name to, to, to Kevin. And within, uh, I guess, a week and a half or so, um, he had the, the courage to write what I felt was an extremely uh, articulate and positive article about uh, what we're doing, why we're doing it, and all the reasons behind the substructure of, of, of media starting to percolate forward in this one article. Right. But, but Bob, there'll be no follow-up. I, um I suspect there might be another story in, in the Star or the Sun or the mm-hmm. Globe before um, the event happens, and I, I, I'm hoping that they'll also come and cover that day. Sure. Um, journalism has changed. Newspapers have changed. Even in the, in the three years that I haven't been there, there's less staff now. There's uh, skeleton staff on the weekend, and so unless something earth-shattering happens, <clears throat> they don't have anybody to send out to these things. So. Um, we're hoping that Saturday is one of those really slow days that there's somebody that can come. Um, if we get, um, like, we're going to have a panelist from the Toronto Sun, so I'm absolutely, I would be shocked if there wasn't a story the next day on this. Um, if we get some coverage on, you know, local television, national television, CTV, CBC, I think the newspapers will take their cue from them. They're saying, well, if they're covering it, we must cover it. We don't want to be left out of the loop. Right. But but one of the things I wanted to say about the Washington one compared to this, um, you know, they didn't get the press that they wanted. I didn't have the privilege of being there, but I've seen some of the clips and the videos that were from there. And the key word is mock. That was a mock conference, right? It, it, it wasn't – it was real people, but right. they were doing something mock. Ours is different. This is a real 
news conference, a real uh, chance for journalists everywhere. I mean, we're inviting people from Europe, too, if they want to come here. Um, t- this is their opportunity to question seven of, of the world's foremost experts on this phenomenon. And you're looking for you're looking for skeptics. You don't want people that are on yeah, side yeah, yeah. We, we don't want people that are already writing UFO magazines right. or UFO stories. We want people that... To give that, you the high, hard one. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I'm, I'm sure they're going to be, you know, asking, you know, well, give us something that we can really uh, make us believe that the aliens do exist. And that'll be up to the panelists to come up with some unique way to do that because, um, you know, the, the way I look at it is that unless you've experienced it yourself, it's very hard for you to let your rational mind wrap around the whole situation. Except from the people that I've talked to for all my books and and the book that I just wrote with Jason Quitt and also a book that we're writing together now that I can't really talk about. But um, from what information I'm learning, um, this world really isn't the world we think it is from a political no statement, from from, <laughs> from any any kind whatsoever. And a lot of people will think, well, that's just crazy talk. But, but it isn't. Uh, the government has been hiding secrets for years and – Perhaps they have really good reasons to do that. But I think in this day and age that people now are, are over Roswell. I mean, I think most people believe Roswell happened. You know, it was, it was 60 years ago now or maybe, maybe more than that, 47, mm-hmm. 70 years almost. And, and, you know, why not just say it happened? You know, why keep lying to people and all these things? It, well, it just makes no sense to me now. What is it with, with journalists – are, is is it a? I mean, I, people always say to me, "Oh, did someone tell you not to talk about this?" It's never happened. I've never. It's not overt like that. No, no, it, it, no. And I'm and I'm wondering, does how does it work in at a at a, at a major newspaper, or is it, it does it is it a cultural bias that journalists have? They know, you know, it's they know. I, listen, I have to put my kids through school. I've got car payments to make. I'm not going to make myself look like a fool. I'm not going there. Well, I, I don't think it goes that far in that sense because if you're assigned to cover an event, you're going to cover that event. So it's not like you believe or don't believe. You're supposed to be objective. So if you're a columnist, that's something different. But the people that were covering this event, they're just covering it as an event. Uh, but I would... I would bet you anything that of – I don't know how many journalists are still working in Toronto these days. But let's just say there's there's still 100. Uh, at one time there was 100 at the start. But I mean I think there's probably a lot less now. But say, say there's 100 mainstream journalists working here. I would bet you that at least 10 percent of them have had some kind of experience that they can't uh, figure out what happened. They might think it's a dream. They have never told anybody about it. And they feel kind of ridiculous to tell somebody. So they hide it. They keep it to them. Um, and I would say another 10% probably absolutely believes in all this stuff. They watch every show on TV from Ancient Aliens to your show when it's on to to Hangar One and, and reading all these books. But they don't let anybody know because it's a, taba- a taboo subject. Um, and they probably are just dying to be assigned this uh, assignment to come and cover it. But they're not going to go up to their editors and say, hey, I believe in all this stuff because you're supposed to be objective. So I think it's a cultural bias that way. But as I said, if Hillary comes out and does say Area 51 has had alien technology, we've used it to create all the stuff we, we've done, um, that'll that'll be the game changer. That'll change everything. It would be except she gave herself an enormous out by yes. saying if it doesn't compromise national yes, security. Yes. Well, of course it would compromise it, it's, national it's security. It's absolutely going to. And the other thing is 
do we really believe that even if she goes that far to say that there there is aliens out there, do you really think she is going to give the goods up? Like whatever she says or whoever gets elected, if they say anything, they're never going to tell us the truth. No, she's pandering. She's simply pandering. Yeah. Yeah. And, And, you know... She is not in control anyways. There's somebody always controlling her. So, Let's talk about the makeup of the, of the panel on mm-hmm. the 25th. And these journalists are going to square off against a world-class historian, for example, like mm-hmm. Richard Dolan, who right. was, for all intents and purposes, a Rhodes Scholar. Mm-hmm. I think he missed it by that much, as uh, right. Don Adams used right. to say on Get Smart. Mm-hmm. What, do you th- what is Dolan going to offer up to these journalists, do you think? Well... I, I, I just uh, finished sending an email to all uh, of the of the panelists, each one, individually and, and as a group. And I asked them, in addition to what your own particular area of expertise is uh, in terms of what you feel you want to talk about, I'd, I'd like you to, you know, as one of the um, adjudicators at the, at the hearing, I'd like you to focus in on these two things. And for each of the, of the panelists, I asked, I asked Stanton Friedman to do this and this. And then uh, Grant Cameron to do this and this. For um, for for Richard, knowing uh, what he has been through and written those two volumes, uh, UFOs um, the in the National, National Security, Security State, State yeah. volumes one and two, his background is just immeasurably comprehensive. I mean, this man is a walking encyclopedia. He's just he's a he's a data disk with you know thirty five billion whatever they however big those things are these days. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it just just wait this. The way he operates. Now, uh, what I want him to do is I want him to do two things. I want him to talk about secrecy, and he has a very good perception of why and how deep the secrecy goes. Second of all, I want him to address the uh, the nuclear uh, shutdown issue. Right. Okay. Those are the two things that I've asked him to, to talk about. And I know he's, he's, I've talked to him personally, and he says, Victor, we'll do a fine job on that. Because I want these journalists to understand, not just the ones on the panel. Mm-hmm. I want the people that are listening in the audience who are journalists and the ones that are covering it on TV to understand through Richard's eyes and his understanding of this nuke issue that the skies over the United States are not under the control that the people think they are. These UFOs or whatever you want to call them can compromise nuclear missiles at the drop of a hat or just by being around these nuclear installations. They can shut these things down 20, 30, 40, 50 at a time. Now, does the Pentagon know that? That's news. That is news. If the Pentagon knows these things can do that, that is news. And any journalist worth their salt would be an idiot not to follow up on a story like that. That's why I want Richard to capture the nuke event and the whole issue of how nuclear um, arsenals are shut down by these things. That's a big, big story. But didn't it was Bob was Bob Hastings, right? Who Robert Robert Hastings. Robert yeah. Hastings had had that press conference at the Washington uh, Press Club. Yeah. And, and he has a movie out now too about this. A brand new movie. Apparently it's a blockbuster. But anyways, go ahead. And I mean he had these military people lined up who said exactly that, you know UFO incursion over Maelstrom Air Force Base or wherever, shut down our nukes. Mm-hmm. That was streamed on CNN, I think, on their website. Yeah. I mean, but, nothing. But well, it's, it's funny because there, there's, a, there's a difference. There's yeah. a difference. There's a difference. That happened in the United States. This is happening here. Yeah. And I've always believed, I've told this to, to, to Mr. Bassett. He and I have this kind of uh, mm-hmm. this banter back and forth. I said, the media up here in Canada is much more amorphous, much, much more amorphous than the ones in the... It's, it's a... It's a 
you know, behemoth down there. Up here, we're a little bit more, I don't know, easygoing with it. We're still strident. We're still, we still have the, many of the issues that, that you talk about. But through our media, this could be the conduit through which the Hillary Clinton issue and this nuclear uh, shutdown issue could come through north of the, the 49th parallel. And I'm, I've always believed that if we are going to go through some, through some disclosure process, it's going to happen here in Canada. And that's why I'm doing this. Bob, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I would say that the Canadian media is 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 a little different than the American media. In in one sense, is everything is far more secretive here than in the United States. Especially with well, I learned that in crime that uh, it's much harder to be a crime reporter in Canada than it is in the United States. Because well, impossible now it, because you can't listen to the police scanner. Yeah, you can't listen. Well, but you don't get any information in the United States as soon as somebody gets arrested, it's on Nancy Grace, and, and they've convicted him before six months before they go to trial. I don't right. know how anybody ever gets a fair right. trial. But it's the same with everything in there. Everything is public. Well, everything they want you to give is public, I guess, uh, unless it's national security. But sometimes even that doesn't matter. Um, but there's so much information that comes out of there. Um, the, the Maelstrom thing, I mean, that's a big story. Yet... The mainstream media in the United States, after one day, just forgets it and go on to something else because it's it's Bob Hastings talking about it, not the head of defense, the national defense, mm-hmm. uh, uh, whatever they call it in the States. They, they remain silent. They remain it. silent about it. And, and I think what's happened over the last few years, even from 2013, it's only been three years, but I think there's a more uh, – there's an acceptance more of the fact that Aliens do exist. There's so many shows out there. People are being indoctrinated on the History Channel. Every time you turn it on, there's something to do with aliens. And I think it's more and more people are now, I think, saying, hey, you know, this is – there's something real here. When I was writing the, the first two books, The Intrusion, Alien Encounters, and I had people in that book who had had these secrets all their lives, had never told anybody in their entire life other than maybe their close friend or their, or their husband, and even that, some of them kept some of the secrets. Yet, at some point when they, they met me for some reason, they felt comfortable enough to talk to me about it. And um, after they opened up their, their story to me, they felt a tremendous burden that was lifted off their shoulders. Almost every single person had almost a metamorphosis. They became a different person. They were instead of being an introvert they were now extroverts and i think you know, there's millions of people out there with the same experiences that are just dying to tell somebody something or trying to realize maybe i'm not crazy and when people like richard dolan who has such a high uh, you know uh, educational background comes out and says this is what's happening people need to to listen to him one would hope all right we will take a time out bob mitchell and victor vigiani will be part of the Alien Cosmic Expo UFO Disclosure Hearing happening June 24th, 25th, 26th. Back with more. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Bob Mitchell is in studio, UFO disclosure advocate, and uh, Victor Vigiani, 
uh, executive director of Zeland Communications, and uh, we are talking about what else? UFO Disclosure, big event happening June 24, 25, 26 in Brantford, Ontario. That's the Alien Cosmic Expo. Uh, and if you go to the website, strangeplanet.ca, and go to uh, the live events page, you'll see it there, and that links up to the aliencosmicexpo.com website, and you can buy tickets right there. It's going to be quite an event. June 25th is the media panel, the uh, UFO uh, disclosure hearing, which will include... Uh, a who's who of UFO disclosure advocates and researchers. I mentioned uh, Richard Dolan, Nick Pope, uh, Grant Cameron, uh, the, uh, my two guests tonight, Bob Mitchell, Victor Vigiani, Stanton Friedman, the Honorable Paul Hellyer, Travis Walton, Stephen Bassett. Am I leaving anyone else out? Probably, but... Uh, Grant, did you mention Grant? Grant Cameron, yes. Yeah, okay. All right, so we, we talked about uh, Richard Dolan and what he's going to offer up. Uh, the Honorable Paul Hellyer. You know, it's... It's interesting. Here is a man who was a heartbeat away from being the prime minister. He was a deputy prime minister mm-hmm. under Trudeau. He was the defense minister under uh, Lester B. Pearson uh, and took a huge uh, step forward in 2005, Victor, largely, mainly, thanks to your efforts. Mm-hmm. You convinced him to go public at the University of Toronto, and he said UFOs are as real as the planes flying over our head. Mm-hmm. Now, these days, he's not... He's not getting the respect, let's face it, in the mainstream media. Oh, Paul Hellyer, he's in his 90s. You know, you can almost hear the, the derision and the, and, the, uh, and the sarcasm, which is really mm-hmm. tragic. Which, which is why I said we need to have somebody like him that is still in the government to right. do this. Because the government right now can sit back and say, well, it's just Paul. You know, that's all. And, um, but he's still a draw. And people, Absolutely, he is. And people will still want to talk to him at the Alien Cosmic Expo. Well, the people get it, right? Mm-hmm. But the, the, the journalists are well, behind t- the curve as usual. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell you something that, and I, I'm not sure if I'm breaking in confidence or not. I, I don't think that, that, um, that I am. But I will tell you that um, I'm thinking it was about three years after, in 2008 or 2009, uh, Paul and I spoke and... Uh, I said, what are we going to do about this? And I said, uh, well, we've got to get it in front of a committee of some kind. And uh, he said, well, what about the Senate Committee on, on National Defense? Where my friend, uh, Senator Colin Kenny, is the chair. I said, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, yeah. He said, what if I spoke to him? So Paul went to Ottawa and sat down and spoke with the chairman of the Senate Committee on National Defense and Security. And at that time, Colin Kenny told the Honorable Paul Hellyer that this story is too big. He said that. He That's said a quote. That. That's a quote. Mm-hmm. Take that to the bank. He said, this story is too big for us. Wow. Tick, 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 yeah. tick. And they want the United States to get a lead on it. And, and the thing is, if a, if a senator and a chairman of a committee like that says something like that, it represents a certain kind of mindset that's uh, – you, you mentioned this sort of this cultural bias. It's a political bias on, on his part to say, listen, if we start dipping our toe in that ink, we will never, ever be able to shed that, that stain. So we have to be very careful about what we talk about and how deeply we go into these issues because it is a, a national security issue. And how deeply can you go to talk about extraterrestrials mm-hmm. before you blow the lid on this whole darn thing? And the press is, you know, uh, invading Parliament Hill saying that, uh, you know, a senator chairman of a, of a defense committee is talking about extraterrestrials. I mean, do we want that? 
Now, I don't know who would have been in government at the time. I'm not quite sure who would have been. What what era? What year? Uh, yeah, what, uh, I'm thinking it was about three or four years after, let's say, 208, 209. I'm well, that guessing. would have been Harper. That, that would have been, been the Harper. conservative government. Uh, there you go. That Maybe that answers your question or my question. But I, I raise the issue because, um, you know, y- your point is a good one. Someone like that of that stature needs to stand up and say, well, I don't necessarily believe in all this stuff, but at least we have to start talking about it. Let's just remove the veil and say, see what's there. That's all we're asking. Bob, what are you going to talk about on the panel? Um, I don't know. At the moment, I thought I was uh, basically just going to be there to um, lend a hand, and I wasn't planning on actually giving my my sense of what happens. But I'm quite prepared to do it, and I think from my point of view, I would be telling them some of the cases that I interviewed and the people that came to me with experiences they couldn't explain that were extremely emotional, that I, I never once thought they were making it up, um, and variety of different kinds of experiences. Not just one experience that they see all the time, and most of them were never really into UFOs or, or aliens or anything. So from the people that I've talked to, I know there's something going on. They know there's something going on. And even if you don't believe them, um, they don't care anymore. They've got it off their chest. They now are out there. They, they absolutely want everybody to come out like they have. And the more people that come out, the more the governments are not going to be able to just you know, pass it off. I, I wonder what Trudeau's thought on this whole thing is. I mean, I don't think anybody ever asked him on the campaign trail. Um, and I don't, I've never read or heard anything, him even talking about the subject. It'd be interesting if somebody in, in Parliament would, would ask him during a, you know, one of their questions a period point. He'd probably just take off his shirt. Yeah, <laughs> elbow somebody. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but well, you know, but, no, one thing I wanted to say is that... Save it. We'll, okay. we'll, we'll uh, pick that up on the other okay. side, Bob. Bob Mitchell in studio, Victor Vigiani, back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Bob Mitchell. Victor Vigiani in studio. We're talking about UFO disclosure and, of course, the uh, the big alien cosmic expo happening in Brantford June 24, 25, 26 in a, a UFO uh, disclosure hearing on the 25th. And I will be moderating a panel, and um, that panel will include, once again, Richard Dolan, Nick Pope, Stephen Bassett, the Honorable Paul Hellyer, uh, Travis Walton, Grant Cameron, uh, and, and others. Victor Vigiani and Bob Mitchell will be there as well. Uh, we were talking about um, sort of the progression uh, in terms of the treatment of the mainstream media. And we're now in a very interesting uh, time where we have people like Hillary Clinton and uh, uh, Bill Clinton going on shows like Jimmy Kimmel Live and kind of hinting at it, kind of joking. And Jimmy Kimmel seems genuinely interested uh, within the confines of a comedy show, but still. And you get that, that kind of that teasing kind of response mm-hmm. from people like Clinton and, and, and Hillary. But 
nothing really authentic. You, you need Anderson Cooper to sit down with her and ask all those questions. You need Geraldo Rivera to sit down for Fox and do the same thing. Right, but what's the game there? What's the thinking? Like, is that... I mean, because you know what? Those shows are so scripted. Mm-hmm. They, they, don't, they don't put anything on those question cards that doesn't get yeah. approval from the guests. So is this some... Are they doing kind of an end run because they're not going to answer those questions at a press conference at the White House? But it, it sounds like they are to me. I don't know what their, their end game is other than that they've said it. And now they can say, well, you know, it was, I was just making fun. But in reality, they've said it, something that they, they normally would never have said, especially during an election year, I would have thought. But uh, I think it's part of a process mm-hmm. of, of who's in control here. Mm-hmm. And I think the whole control angle has to be looked at in several different ways. The, the, the one big way ha- is, of course, the, the, the media, as, as you mentioned, CBS, NBC, and ABC. I mean, those are, the, the, those are the, the three points of control as to where this information goes or doesn't go in terms of the media. You also notice that um, until last week, uh, this hasn't been mentioned within the White House, uh, other than uh, Sarah McClelland uh, talking to Bill Clinton back about UFOs during his tenure right. very, very quickly, and, and you know everybody laughed it off. What's happening here is that you will notice that the, the Pentagon is mum on this. All the high-level military people, all they'll, they know what's coming and going on a daily basis. You know, the, the fast walkers, they know these things. NORAD knows it. They track them on the bloody radar, for crying out loud, every day. Mm-hmm. They know this. Until you get, and you know, Bob's words earlier, until you get someone of substance saying something about this, if the Pentagon were to even whisper the word or the acronym UFO in, in, a, in a public forum, all hell would break loose. So I think, you know, what you're talking about is it's allowed to percolate at a certain level on the Jimmy Kimmel show or mm-hmm. wherever else, uh, even CNN. It's allowed to percolate, but it's never able to pierce that glass ceiling. And that's what I've always alluded to that And, that and what will happen when it does pierce the glass ceiling is that it won't come from directly from a senator or uh, a governor or whoever in the mm-hmm. government. It'll come through one of his people leaking a source to some reporter who said, you can't use my name, you can't do this, but yeah. this is what's happened. You can write it, we'll deny it, but you can write it and exactly. take it to the yeah. bank. And then it'll be up to the editors whether to go with because they're going to want to see proof and it'll be back and forth. But speaking of, of newspapers and mainstream journalists, Every newspaper in, at least every major newspaper in Canada, I'm sure it's in the United States, the same thing, they have an investigative team that they spend six months on one topic, whether it's investigating a pizza outlet or a, a conglomerate or something. Isn't it about time that, that a Canadian newspaper put a team on this subject? <laughs> Maybe there is. You know, well past you know, time. You know, well past time. But now with uh, you know the New York Times coming out with articles and Hillary hinting it, you know, Canada has to be in the loop somewhere. There's got to be uh, things that the that our government is hiding that a, a good journalist will be able to. That's to where NORAD find out. That's where you NORAD know, comes um, in. Let me put a challenge out to Michael Cook in the Toronto Star right now. Is he edited there? Go for it, Michael. 
be the first uh, major newspaper to do an investigation you know, and find a, out what happened. That's a great thing that you mentioned because I always go back to the, the Watergate thing. Mm-hmm. I always, for some reason, and I, the reason I do that is because of Stan Friedman, mm-hmm. his, um, his whole image of the cosmic Watergate. When this thing breaks, it's going to break in a very, very similar way because the way Catherine Graham and, and um, Ed Bradley, uh, ben, was it ben Bradley? Ben Bradley. Ben, ben Bradley. Ben Bradley. The way they, they really had this angst about should we do this or should we not do this? I mean, this is the president of the United States. We can't be doing this. But, mm-hmm. And then Woodward and Bernstein got all the information. They didn't know whether to go with it or not. And it, they, they, they tossed this thing back and forth for weeks, maybe even months before. I'm not sure the chronology of it. But they really had a difficult time deciding, yep, we're going to do this. Now, I'm wondering if there's people sitting in the editorial rooms at the New York Times as we speak asking that same question. Should we go forward on this at all? Should we talk to Mr. Podesta and see what he really knows? Do we want to find out if there is, in fact, government documents about this stuff? What does NORAD know about this? What's a fast walker? Um, What is really going on at Area 51? What about uh, Los Alamos? Mm -hmm. Uh, I hate to be skeptical. I don't... Do we have anyone of Ben Bradley's substance up here running newspapers? And secondly, aren't they all just managing the decline? I mean... That's true. Yeah. That's true. But, but this this could but be. But they do have separate departments that just do investigations. But I, I always, if, if I was going to run a newspaper, first thing I would do because listen, they're all they're all just chasing their tails, and they're they're watching their subscribers go down, 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 down. Their advertisers go down, 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 down. If they were serious about turning things around, Your first point. thing you do, you put the sports in the front section and the astrology in the front section, Absolutely. and you have a UFO uh, beat. And, and in fact, I was told that. Anytime there's a story about UFOs or aliens in a major newspaper, sure. circulation goes up. Views on the Internet goes up for that day. The O'Hare incident so uh, why on the Tribune website, yeah. the number one yeah. downloaded story in the history of the Chicago Tribune. Yeah, yeah. But your interview with um, uh, on TV, who, who interviewed you on TV that time? Oh, on CTV. On CTV, uh, yes. You looked into the camera and said, do you guys know why your ratings are falling? You're not covering stories of substance. You said it. And that's why I won't be on there again. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you, you never One know. last parting shot. Well, it, it's, it, you hit the nail right in the head when you said that. Well, yes, and I, and I joked, but it was, it was National Grilled Cheese Sandwich Day. Yeah. And, they, and that got five minutes. Yeah. But what do you think that if, if Bob's point about, uh, you know, newspapers uh, going this way with UFOs and their readership yeah, going up, of course let us would. suppose that, that the Toronto Star, for example, if they did, if they got one of their major, Kevin Donovan, for example, yeah, you know, Kev- Kevin, Kevin could do this in a snap of the fingers. Yeah. He, you know what he's done? And Kevin, if you're listening, my friend and my brother, you know, listen carefully here, okay? I've sent him everything from day one, everything from day one on this stuff. I'm talking years now. He's written me back and say, stop sending me this information. Just take me off your list. Mm-hmm. Now, what happened to intellectual curiosity? Well, there you go. I mean, if, if Kevin wants to be a Pulitzer Prize winner or something of that ilk here in Canada, he has the capacity to do that because he's got all the information and he's got the skills to do it. And so does Jim Coyle. Mm-hmm. Jim does. Jim attended the uh, the, the, the residence. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So, I mean, it was... Uh, you know, this this could be a conscious decision by upper level management. So just cool your jets here. We we, we if we go too far, we could get stomped right. on. But I want to send my kids to Upper Canada College. Yeah, that's but, right. But so, the only two papers that are going to be able to to do it is the Globe and Mail and the Toronto Star. I think if they're going to really do it right. Mm. 
I agree. Um, I agree. There's nobody else in Canada that could do it right. But okay, let's say you get a front. I don't. I don't want to be the you know no, that we, that's, the that's naysayer here. No, that's but let's say you get that front page story, and maybe you even get a follow up. What then? The the public already is. The, the majority of us are already cognizant of this. We're already on board. Okay. Where does it go from there? Okay. Well, the ones that aren't will now see it's legitimate. Okay. It's legitimate because, because the Toronto Star have written about it. But it's got to go someplace, though, yeah. Bob. And you know where it's going to go? It's going to go in a couple of different directions. Number one, national security. Yeah. Okay, now that's going to be, it's going to affect national security. Why? It's going to tell us that, in fact, we can't control our, our own airspace. That's the number one thing. Now, the general public may not care about that. <laughs> they may not. But, you know, a lot of people in the States will. Mm-hmm. Number two, if this energy issue comes out, if the energy issue Im- embedded in this whole UFO, ET, extraterrestrial, off-world contact, if the energy issue comes forward to make it clear that whatever these UFOs have as a propulsion system, as I said in this radio program before, they don't stop off at Jupiter to fill up with SO gas. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a propulsion system, an energy source that's free and the most powerful system in the universe. And if we can embed that into our own technologies here, which we think some people already have done, mm-hmm. that will eliminate the use of fossil fuels. And if that story comes out, you mean to tell me there's an energy source that will replace and working models that will replace fossil fuels? Yes. This is what all the documentation is telling us. So there, this is where else it could go. These are the things that right, right. once the It'll media go to the, the government's going to have to answer it in, in the House right. of Commons. And, and then there's and all there's all the, the the big question is, you know, answered. We're not alone. Yeah. Uh, back to the panel on the 25th. Grant Cameron, okay. presidentialufo.com, has scoured the presidential libraries. Some amazing yep. uh, revelatory things have mm-hmm. come out uh, regarding past presidents and, and UFOs and so forth. What's Grant going to be uh, hammering away at? I've asked Grant to very specifically look at uh, the Rockefeller letters and explain, A, how he went about uh, his literally hundreds of, of FOIA requests as a Canadian requesting this information from the Clinton Library. And my understanding, I've heard numbers of four to 500 letters and maybe even more. This was Lawrence Rockefeller, kind of the black sheep of the Rockefeller family, communicating with the Clinton White House That's saying, right. you know, let, we need to push for disclosure. That's right. He covered... Um, that whole base very, very well. He discovered all of the letters initiated by Lawrence S. Rockefeller, first of all, to Dr. Jack Gibbons, the, this, um, the scientific advisor to, to the president. And he said, uh, Dr. Gibbons, Jack, they knew each other. We need to talk to the president about UFO secrecy. It's time to come out and talk about all this stuff. And then the letter started going, rolling and rolling. And even Hillary Clinton was involved in the, in the, in the letter as the first lady. Okay, and you've got a number of other people. This stuff has involved uh, Carl, uh, Carl Sagan, Billy Graham. Billy Graham was asked to be part of this whole committee to look at, and he said no. So you've got this situation where inside the White House between 1993 and 96, all these letters are fomenting and crossing everybody's desk, and that's what I want Grant to talk about. It was inside the White House from 93 to 96. You see, that alone, that alone should have some journalists. right. Hopefully armed with a little, just a, a modicum of yeah. intellectual curiosity. Because it's not Gomer just down in the corner gas station talking about this. These are actually high-level people in, with the eye to the president. Victor Vigiani, Zeland Communications, thank you. Give us a, a website. Just Google Zeland Communications and you'll get there.
I'm Bob Mitchell. Thank you. BobMitchellAuthor.SimpleSite.com. You'll have all my books there, which are linked up to Amazon. And we'll talk in July about time travel. Looking forward to it. All right. My website, StrangePlanet.ca. Say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett. As always, follow the truth. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Listening to Zoomer Radio in Toronto, CFZM AM 740, and CFZM FM 96.7 in downtown Toronto. Owned and operated by MZ Media Incorporated. Zoomer Radio, timeless hits. Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Well, thank you for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, taxi, RV, camper, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. A fine howdy-do to all of you uh, listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, here in Toronto, Canada. I bid thee welcome, and those, of course, are checking us out on one of our affiliate stations on both sides of the border. Uh, the Zoomer Radio app, the Conspiracy Show app, the podcasts, of course. Uh, those watching um, or joining us on our Hangout on Air, our HOA. Wherever and however you're listening, it's great to have you, and thanks for your fine company. Uh, award-winning author, World Explorer, magazine editor Brad Olson is standing by to talk about mysterious places and esoteric knowledge. Uh, Albert Vinzel, my story producer, is here running our HOA, as I mentioned, our Hangout on Air. If you want to watch the live stream uh, on you on YouTube, uh, all you need to do is go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, S as in Simon, Y-R-E-T-T, at Richard Serrett, and go to the top or near the top of the uh, Twitter feed, and you will see the HOA link. Just click on it. Just click, and you're in. And you can uh, see us all here in studio. 
Uh, Ian Robertson, my technical producer, is here on the other side of the glass, twisting the knobs and dials. Um, I was in uh, Albuquerque a few months ago. We were, uh, it was a TV show for the Travel Channel called National Park Mysteries. And I met this tall drink of water. I, uh, I came up to his waist, I think. And we got to talking. And uh, turns out he's a, he's a, a regular fixture on Coast to Coast and um, uh, writes about mysterious places. And we only had an opportunity to chat for about 10 minutes. And then he had to head off to the airport, and then I had to sit in the chair and, and do my piece on camera. Uh, but I knew immediately that I had to have him on the program. And uh, I am uh, so glad that he's with us here tonight. Brad Olson's passion for writing goes far beyond his book publishing business or his online content that he produces. His books have reached a wide audience across the country, around the world, won numerous awards. His work has been reviewed in top publications, and he continues to lecture nationwide on various subjects. He's appeared on dozens of television and nationally syndicated radio shows over the course of two decades. Uh, although the... Well, he's, he's also, um, he was primarily a travel writer. This is something that he, he shared with me uh, when we were down there in the uh, New Mexico desert uh, and realized quickly that the, um, the whole sort of travel literature uh, arena uh, is being kind of, kind of squeezed out because of uh, all this free information that you can now get online. And that kind of uh, caused a change in his editorial direction. And uh, now uh, he's perhaps best known for uh, the release of his Esoteric series, which began in early 2013 with the release of two books in two years, Future Esoteric, the Unseen Realms was released to many favorable, favorable reviews in January 2013 through CCC Publishing in paperback and all ebook formats. The second installment of the series, Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses, was released in March 2014. And the website devoted to the book series is www.esotericseries.com. Brad Olson, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Hey, Richard, I'm doing great. Nice to hear your voice again. Likewise. Likewise. Uh, you know, it was a kind of um, a cool where we were in uh, Chaco Canyon or on the, I guess, we weren't actually right inside Chaco Canyon, but we were on the set of, uh, as it turns out, of where they, they shot the opening for Breaking Bad. Uh, that was kind of a, a, cool little, uh, a cool little venue to be doing the, uh, the program in. How well versed are you in uh, with uh, New Mexico and uh, the the uh, the desert there, the high desert? Well, when I was working on one of my travel guides called Sacred Places North America, one hundred and eight destinations, I traveled through there numerous times, including Chaco Canyon. It's unfortunate we couldn't go there because it's such an amazing place, as well as most of uh, New Mexico, Arizona, the whole Four Corners region. It's truly an enchanting place. Uh, esoteric, future esoteric, unseen realms, uh, the whole esoteric series. What do you, what do you, how do you define esoteric? Well, esoteric literally means knowledge that is available to a select few. So when I chose that name for the series, I decided to make all the subject matter in these two books that information which is not readily available. I call it the alternative narrative. That is what many of us 
believe, I think a lot of your listeners and yourself with UFOs and other uh, subjects that aren't so readily available in the mainstream media, that we can figure some of these things out and by nature they become esoteric subjects, even if they are of these future esoteric subjects such as UFOs and free energy and underground bases and things like that. You, um, you're you obviously, you know, very sort of concerned about the, uh, the story of human origin, as many of us are. And you write about the RH blood factor uh, in humans, which is, is, is quite a curious little, a little thing. I mean, statistically, how many of, of, of us humans have the, the RH? This is like a protein marker in our blood, right? The RH factor. Right. How many of us yeah, have that? So- only 15% of humanity has it, and it's well-defined in certain groupings of people. For example, uh, Celtic origin people, and most especially the Basque people of southern France and northern Spain, have 25% are RH negative. And in fact, it runs in my family too, Richard, and I lost an uncle at five days old because his blood was infected with my grandmother's upon birth. My grandmother was RH negative and my uncle Douglas was RH positive. He's what was known as a blue baby. And at the time, around World War II, there was no uh, cure for it. And what's so interesting about this is no other animal species has the ability to infect its own offspring and kill it with its mother's blood. So that's one thing that makes humans a little bit different than all the rest of the animals on the earth. So if the RH uh, protein marker is only present in a certain part of the population, I mean, what is the inference there? Well, the inference is, is there are two different types of humans who walk this planet. And the proof is that infectious blood is very unique to the human race. And if I can maybe sort of leap ahead a little bit here, try to connect some dots, because I've had this conversation about uh, about RH, the RH factor, uh, with people like Nick Redfern, uh, you know, Bloodline of the Gods and so forth. Uh, is there a connection, do you suppose, between the RH factor... Uh, and the alien abduction phenomenon. I mean, is there any correlation? Yes, there very much is, and I'm glad you brought that up. Both Nick and I are uh, on the TV show Ancient Aliens, and they're going to have an episode coming up called Pre-Human Questions, and I think this is going to be a, a big part of it. And indeed, in my book, Modern Esoteric, I have a chapter called Blood of the Gods. And in my research, I found that almost all alien abduction people have RH negative blood. So they seem to be very interested in this. What's more, RH negative people seem to be more psychic, have abilities without even trying to do things like astral travel and sometimes uh, telepathy with their loved ones. And they just have heightened sense of awareness, heightened hearing, heightened sight. And it's a part what they all have, sometimes even an extra rib or vertebrae. So we are talking about what appears to be a different kind of human being. 
Now, you mentioned um, uh, your uncle, I think it was, was known as a blue baby. Mm. And we've all heard yeah. the expression, the blue bloods. Right. Uh, and we, we associate that term with the royal houses of Europe, the blue bloods. Uh, is, that to, is there a connection there then between the royal houses and this RH blood factor? I like to think there are no coincidences in the world, Richard. And it's funny that they uh, take a little pride in calling themselves blue blood families. And indeed, they usually are the richest and most influential families. So when we find that uh, this blue blood baby phenomenon of being infected with a mother's Rh negative blood occurs, and then all the antigens try to fight off the uh, of blood, it turns their blood blue. As we can see in our own veins, we do have blue blood until it becomes exposed to oxygen on the outside. So what's so interesting with, with the blue blood families so happen to be you know what? Uh, we are losing you. You're, um, can we call? Uh, can we call him, Brad, back on a landline? Brad, can you hear me? We're kind of uh, uh, your I'm... Skype connection is a little intermittent right now. Are we able to call him back? All right, we'll do that. We'll um, we'll take an early break here, and we'll reach Brad Olson on his uh, good old trusty landline. Sometimes. We, we have to dial back to the old technology, <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, Brad Olson is uh, with us. Modern Esoteric Beyond Our Senses, the esoteric series of books, award-winning travel writer, world explorer, modern esoteric and future esoteric, the unseen realms. We'll discuss uh, further after this timeout. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Brad Olson is with us, world explorer, writer. You've seen him on Ancient Aliens. You've seen him on America Unearthed. And uh, now we have the uh, Esoteric uh, series of books, uh, Modern Esoteric. Beyond Our Senses, and Future Esoteric, uh, The Unseen Realms, second edition. And uh, we're just trying to reach Brad uh, once again on uh, the, the, the landline. We had some uh, Skype issues, which happens from time to time. We've got Brad back uh, with us. Brad, you're, are you in San Francisco tonight? I am in San Francisco, Richard. Excellent. All right. Beautiful, beautiful part of the country. Uh, okay. So um, we were talking about um, uh, blue bloods and the RH uh, blood factor and so forth. And um, there's a, a section in your, in your um, uh, modern esoteric uh, a book called Control. And we talk a lot about that on 
uh, this program. You know, how are they, whoever they are, keeping a lid on, uh, on, on a lot of the stuff that many of us, you know, we suspect or we know in our gut? Um, what, what are the elements of control, let's say, above and beyond the mainstream media, obviously, which plays a vital role in that? And we were discussing that, in fact, on our previous hour when it comes to the, the UFO issue. But what do you see as some of the other methods of control to keep us all in the dark? Well, it's really across the board, such as their control over politicians to do what uh, the ruling elite want them to do. Uh, And I'm not sure when I cut out, but uh, I was talking about the blue blood families being possibly these 13 bloodline families and being RH negative as well. So if they are a little bit different than us, and if they have been in control for quite a long time, and if they have been very secretive about their activities, letting other people like politicians be their spokespeople. And if they have enough money to influence education, government, and even science, uh, and of course the media, as you mentioned, that's pretty much going to be a lockdown on knowledge that they're dispensing to the rest of us. Uh, earlier in the program, we were talking about uh, Hillary Clinton and, and John Podesta and uh, Podesta, her, her uh, sort of her campaign chair, uh, and he was part of Obama's uh, transition uh, team. And prior to that, he was, uh, I think, legal counsel in the Clinton White House. And he has a very curious interest, passion, some might say, with, with UFOs and sort of seen as pushing Hillary from behind the scenes to, you know, to, uh, to move towards disclosure. Are you optimistic uh, at all that we will see disclosure, whether it's a Clinton White House or a Trump White House or who knows, Bernie Sanders? Clinton is not, even though she claims it's all sewn up, I'm not convinced. <laughs> She's stumbling towards the finish line. Um, are you hopeful for disclosure? We've been hopeful for a long time, Richard. It just hasn't happened. You know, I think if it's, if it's going to happen, it could happen with Obama in the waning months because he's really got nothing left to lose, unlike a new incumbent president who would probably get really bogged down with such issues. Um, my friend Steve Bassett, who is a major uh, lobbyist, one of the only lobbyists in Washington, D.C., pushing for disclosure, just wrote an article today saying that uh, he had some signs. He thought Obama might be the one. So maybe it could happen in a couple months. It's it's interesting historically, the, the sort of the exit speech made by presidents, going back to people like Eisenhower, uh, yeah. how they, they, they just let it all out, don't they? <laughs> well, they, they should, and that's the time to do it because then uh, they really don't have much – to lose, and, and it wouldn't take up their, the rest of their administration time. Do you think the, the president of the United States, though, uh, has what they call a need to know, or has the whole UFO ET portfolio uh, been, I don't know, kicked upstairs or gone private so that now it's in the hands of corporations? I mean, does the president really have the authority to disclose, or does he have the knowledge, he or, he or she? Well, I think we found out during the Clinton years when he was saying he was going to try to get to the bottom of it that he did get stonewalled on many different approaches. In my book, Future Esoteric, I have a section on secrets and examining 
the secret state because this is really the root of it. When UFOs went underground shortly after Roswell, really the day after Roswell, like Corso's book, things just changed. It went from an open disclosure nature media and even government who reported that the craft went down in Roswell to covering it up, lying about it, and creating secret departments that would take care of craft recovery and anything else related to it. Uh, Dr. Stephen Greer tells the story, another sort of UFO disclosure uh, advocate, along with uh, with Stephen Bassett, who you mentioned. Uh, Greer tells the story of a conversation he had uh, with, I believe it was, now uh, the, the Joint Chiefs of Staff have their own intelligence uh, group, apparently. And the head of their intelligence um, was alerted by Dr. Stephen Greer to a sort of a special black ops program under his jurisdiction. And this this was like a four-star general. He called uh, and made contact with uh, this project and was told he did not have a need to know and was hung up on. Uh, I mean, this is the guy with the Joint Chiefs of Staff being told, you, you don't have any business knowing about this. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what hope do we have of, of ever hearing about ever hearing disclosure from an elected official or someone in the Pentagon, for that matter. And and then it really begs the question, who really is in charge of all this? And who is making these calls to cut off the president or the Joint Chiefs of Staff? Who are these people, and how did they get in control, and how come they're not accountable? These are the questions I ask. Is there a Majestic 12, do you think? I think there probably was. Historically, they may have changed their name or gone under uh, different guises, but there is a control group, and they usually come from places like the RAND Corporation and these governmental think tanks that uh, help make decisions. I also think the Council on Foreign Relations plays a very big role in our government, even though they shouldn't by law. Uh, They are the intermediaries between corporations and government. And Hillary Clinton is totally tied in with them. She's even said, it's so good that you have an office here in Washington, D.C., because now I don't have to go all the way up to New York to meet with the Council on Foreign Relations. So she's very much tied into it. And and this is uh, tied in with the Rockefellers and the big money families in this country. And they, they are the ones who are really in control. And you alluded to it a second ago that... It's the corporations, most namely the aerospace corporations, which are now in control of this technology. And again, where's the accountability here? Well, you know, it's um, one of the things that if disclosure ever happens, uh, those people that are responsible for keeping uh, the rest of us in the dark or suppressing this information from coming out, really in a way – they have blood on their hands because if you look at the, the, the astronauts, just as one example, who have died uh, during the Apollo and the Gemini and the Mercury um, uh, space programs uh, because they were using you know, rocket fuel. Uh, and if it's true that going back to the, the 1950s, for example, Boeing was experimenting supposedly with anti-gravitics and then mm-hmm. there was this total media blackout. Uh, it was never mentioned again, but there was there were media reports about Boeing having anti-gravitics. If they had that kind of technology 50, 60 years ago, and they're still sending, you know, the Space Challenger up there with rocket fuel, that is, uh, I mean, 
how else can I say it? I mean, they have blood on their hands. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and it also suggests that there really is a secret space program, and the people who are running it are, in a way, a breakaway civilization. Do you think they're off planet? Yeah, I do. I actually do. There's three ways, there's three sides of looking at uh, humans in space. Some say that the moon landings were faked and we can't get past the Van Allen belt and we're pretty much just uh, confined to Earth's orbit. Other people say, well, the government probably told us the truth and we did go to the moon, but we've never been back and all we can do is send up these uh, rockets to the space station and there's just no funding and no purpose in going out there. But the third school of thought is we've been in space for a long time, ever since the Nazis, really. They were the first ones on the moon. When it comes down to it, what we're going to find out is that they've been there since the 30s. They had a base on the dark side of the moon, and they're still up there and even on Mars. And if you talk to people like Andrew Bassagio in, in the jump room and Project Pegasus programs, uh, we even have teleportation technology. But we can't really get out of this uh, solar system, as I understand it, because the astronauts that are trained today who become the pilots in the secret space program, they come from a military background, and they have been trained to kill during basic training, and they're more of a jarhead than they are a Buddha. And the real challenge of getting a craft up towards the speed of light is that you yourself then become your light body. And to have any kind of violent nature in you is going to pre prevent you from crossing over that threshold and then navigating through wormholes or other parts of the universe. So I think there's a, there's a confinement to this solar system, and I do ascribe to uh, Category 3 that humans have been up there a lot more than we've been told including on other planets. That, that explains a lot uh, in terms of what's happening here on planet Earth and uh, why nobody in a position of power seems to be in much of a hurry to do anything about it. I mean, maybe they've all got a, uh, a, 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 a ticket to uh, some deep space platform. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> Alternative three, Alternative, planet Mars. Yes. <laughs> Uh, underground bases. You write about underground bases, and these are this is fascinating to me because um, I mean a, a lot of this is is a matter of public record uh, that the, you know that the United States government um, uh, I think in in Scandinavia somewhere they they built a um, a huge um, underground naval base uh, for submarines uh, you know along the the fjords there and so yep. forth. Uh, what are you hearing about? Um, um, underground bases. I mean, we hear whispers and rumors uh, uh, about, you know, secret entrances. Sometimes truckers will spy, you know, some military vehicle entering some strange uh, compound and so forth. What are you hearing? Oh, it goes back to post-World War II. Again, the Nazis were burring underground. Remember, Hitler was supposedly killed himself in a bunker, so they were burring all under uh, their Third Reich territory. But to fast forward to this modern age, you uh, talked about Scandinavia. Yeah, Sweden has huge underground bases. They've even gone so far to say that they could get most, if not all, of their population 
underground if they needed to. Norway has the, the seed bank of all the seeds in the world, huge underground base. Switzerland, too, can house all their citizens underground. Well, we have them here in North America, USA especially, but I'm sure Canada, too. Uh, but we're not invited to the party, Richard. <laughs> That's pretty much a, a closed club. And when I was uh, out in Denver for uh, the Beyond Belief show with George Norrie last July, boy, is that a creepy place. Denver International, I saw the, oh, the yes. gremlin coming out of the suitcase and the murals showing this. Well, the apocalyptic scene one had so many people complaining about it, they painted over. But there are some other ones by the oh, same Oh, they painted there. over that mural, have they? They did, yeah, the apocalyptic one. That's fascinating. Yeah, it was. It's like it was. Um, the Denver International Airport was was built according to the specs of the New World Order or something. And there's yep. so many. Uh, I mean, that place is just filled with uh, Masonic symbols, and uh, it's it's like they're bragging about it. Yeah, it, it's sort of like hidden in plain sight. They're saying we're here without saying it. And that's the big one. That's that's the largest underground base that I know. But they're really about at least 130 in North America. Most are interconnected out here in the Southwest in California with uh, magnetic levitation Mach 2 train that goes through these train tubes, much like a monorail. And it runs on free energy. So they're using it down there, but they won't release it up here. No, they're not sharing it with the rest of us. No. That's for darn sure. Uh, Brad Olson is uh, with us, and uh, the website is bradolson.com. Let me spell the last name. It's O-L-S-E-N, bradolson.com. We'll uh, take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll continue to talk about all things esoteric as we go down the rabbit hole right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To see the light, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Uh, Brad Olson is with us. You've seen us. You've seen him on uh, Ancient Aliens and America on Earth, a World Explorer, a, a award-winning author, and uh, his new series is uh, the Esoteric series. Two books: Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses, and Future Esoteric. Uh, did you ever imagine when you were I mean, you were sort of a, a straight-ahead kind of travel writer? You know, destinations and telling people about locations, Hawaii and so forth. Did it ever occur to you at that moment that you would have such a, a change in your career path and you would be writing uh, about all of this esoteric knowledge? Not really. No, I would have never imagined this would be my life. But uh, as it turned out, it, it was a, a good move. And these books are doing real well. And I love this category. And I love uh, the fact that I can talk to people like you and 
others in the realm because this is to me this is what really matters these are the subjects that matter the most and uh you know i was just up at crater lake doing another episode of uh mysteries of the national park yes yes. same crew we're with uh well part of it right and uh crater lake is where i had a sighting of phenomena and they're actually going to recreate it on that show when it comes out in the fall and it basically was i was with a couple other backpackers and it was right around sunset, but it was still pretty light out. And we just saw this streaking white light in the sky that had no beginning and no end, but it lasted for like five or seven seconds. And it was just heading right into the depths of Crater Lake, which is the deepest lake in the United States. Mm. And we ran up to catch our other friends, and we saw the exact same streak of light going into Mount Shasta. This was a very pivotal moment for me because I had to find out what that was. And there was no way to research and go into these subjects. Of course, the Internet was just in its very early years in 1997. But it got me thinking that uh, there's a lot of subjects out there that we just have not been told about. And so this is what really tipped me off from starting as a travel writer but then going into – UFO research and conspiracy research and these esoteric subjects. Oh, we, uh, I, I hosted an event last night here in Toronto uh, featuring uh, author David Politis and the whole Missing 411 series of books. And, and Crater Lake was mentioned numerous times uh, during his presentation because that is uh, – there's just a, a cluster of disappearances there going back uh, – uh, well, to the 1800s really, but some of the most disturbing – we're not talking about people who, who simply got lost in the woods or who, or who wanted to disappear. We are talking about very disturbing, bizarre, unexplained uh, disappearances. Uh, and someone asked him towards the end of the night, you know, is there, if there was one national park you would suggest we not visit, <laughs> he mentioned <laughs> Crater Lake. So <laughs> um, the, um, the idea, though, that we are now heading into a period of sort of what well, you call it transparency, the age of transparency. And many of us sort of feel like uh, my, my late father had an expression, uh, you know, things are coming to an acute angle. Mm. We're getting to the precipice here, uh, whether it's disclosure uh, or um, even, you know, you look at what's happening during the current presidential election cycle. I mean, this is revolutionary. Uh, You know, whether you love or hate Trump, uh, people are ready to burn the house down in the United States. And I sense it's all part of this. Is this this what you talk about when you talk about the age of transparency? Well, it applies more to a lot of these hidden subjects finally coming out and seeing the light of day. And this is exactly what the elite do not want to happen, because now we can finally – understand their mode of operation. We can see how they do it. We can see how they finance it. We can see all about the fiat currency and how fake everything is. And it's transparency in that way. But in the esoteric way, I think it's because humans are evolving. We are getting smarter. We're becoming more aware, if you want to be. I mean, you could distract yourself and not pay attention to any of this stuff, and none of this will make any sense. But if you really spend the time and get deep into these subjects, you start to have a certain amount of clarity. And that clarity is that we have been a controlled population for a very long time. And for the first time, perhaps in human history, 
we're having this great wake-up call. I mean, the alarm clock is going off right now, people, and we're all starting to have that light bulb moment and starting to see things for the way they really are. When you say we are evolving, um, sometimes I, I fear some of us are devolving. Uh, I, I look at the, uh, you know, the, um, the fare that's offered on, on, on television and so forth, and I, I, I think, you know, oh, it's the last days of Rome. Um, when you say we are evolving, what, what's behind that? Is it a change in the Earth's, you know, magnetic, uh, electromagnetic, uh, I don't know, the vibra- vibration? What, what's going on? Well, there could be that. There could be that uh, we're entering this angle, like your dad said, uh, where the Milky Way galaxy is aligning and we're getting more light from the uh, center of the universe is one theory I've heard. But I think it's more practical than that. I think it's just that uh, we have the ability. We have the ability to discern. We have the ability to use critical thinking and look at issues that are very complex, most notably UFOs. We can look and use our discernment to see that, of course, this has been hidden. This is, this is the core secret. This is the biggest secret of all. So why wouldn't they make it top secret? And then if it is, what have they been working on for 70-plus years? And those things just start leading to the secret space program and uh, the government, which is basically controlled. And, you know, when people get mad at the government, I think it's disingenuous These people are controlled. They really are. I mean, you do not get into these positions of power without having some kind of either hidden secret that they could blackmail you on or something that keeps you in line. And uh, this is what transparency is all about. We're starting to see this with everybody. And, you know, we like to think that in America and Canada and Europe that these are transparent governments and we can pretty much see politicians voting records and look back in time and see how they've done although trump doesn't have a voting record so we're not sure what he's going to do but uh it's the kind of thing that people are yearning for a leader to say okay my first hundred days i'm going to audit the fed that's one of donald trump's top 10 things he's going to do which i think is great and that's transparency but uh this is the kind of coming out of the shadows that they the controlling elite do not want to have uh, exposure to. Well, uh, I don't want to curse anyone or <laughs> jinx anyone, but the last two presidents that started poking around the Fed or questioning fiat currency got shot in the head in uh public view. And yeah. um, so Donald is messing with fire, and I wish him Godspeed. All right, we'll come back and continue to discuss esoteric, all things esoteric, with Brad Olson. BradOlson.com is the website. Back in a minute. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. 
Welcome back. Brad Olson stays with us for the duration, and we are talking about all things esoteric and his esoteric series, Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses, and uh, the second book in the installment, Future Esoteric. Will there be a book three? There is a book three in the workings, Richard. It's going to take me about another year and a half to come out, but it's called Beyond Esoteric, The Ultimate Journey. Uh, one of the uh, the sections in, I believe it's Future Esoteric, is is Thrive. I mean, we talked about control and, and uh, how we're being uh, kept in the dark and so forth. And uh, now we have this age of transparency, which we seem to be in the midst of. Um, talk to me about Thrive. How do we... How do we take this gut feeling that we all have that something's just not right with the world, that uh, uh, the world is being pulled over our eyes, as uh, Neo said in The uh, the Matrix? Mm-hmm. How do we take that and um, turn things around? Well, the first step is identifying the problem, and that is where I go to in the previous chapters leading up to this, and it's things like... GMOs and fluoride in the water and different ways that uh, we're not being helped necessarily. So in Thrive, what I want to do, because I am an optimistic person, I think there are only solutions, not problems, is to educate people on how we can make ourselves stronger, better, smarter, and even faster in our lives, just give ourselves more energy. Uh, So the first chapter in the Thrive section is living to 200, and I profile this Chinese herbalist who lived over 200. And I think it's totally doable if we're doing the right things and if we can cleanse ourselves of, of all the toxins and pathogens that we may have collected uh, into our adult lives. I'm in the process of doing some of these cleanses right now, and I feel fantastic. I think uh, we haven't been told these things. And if I wasn't for working on these books and looking into a lot of these subjects, I would have never known about them because we're just not being told a lot of this stuff. Who is this Chinese herbalist that lived to to be 200? I have not read about this individual. Yeah, so he's – I'm not going to – well, I could flip to the page and give you his name. But basically he lived in the uh, 18th and 19th century, and he was – a uh, herbalist. So he'd go around and collect goji berries and he would eat uh, very pure food and he basically would just do a lot of exercise. He did a lot of uh, Tai Chi. His name was Li Ching Yuan. And you can read about him on Wikipedia. He certainly was someone who lived very long. There's no doubt about that. Could have been under 200 years, but certainly like in the 170 range, but some say even over 200, up to 256 years old. And he was also training under different tutelages of different masters in China, some of which he said had lived longer than he did. So there is this tradition of uh, longevity in certain parts of, of Asia. And what I was trying to tap into is the fact that we can just use some of these suggestions and and take some advice from these people who live a long time and and apply it in our own lives and hopefully uh, live a longer and happier and more healthy life. Is that part of the uh, – the, the, this is a rhetorical question. I think I know the answer. But the, the, the control mechanism uh, of things like 
um, suppression of the immune system, whether yeah. it's vaccines or fluoride. And does that factor into uh, the, 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 what we call the third eye, the pineal gland? Well, absolutely. And, and that's why I included the chapter on the pineal gland in Modern Esoteric Book under the control section, because there has been a concerted effort to keep that third eye closed in the human race. Because if we were to start having a mass awakening, which I'm predicting is already starting to happen, but let's say people were able to uh, start to activate their pineal gland, it's just game over for the ruling elite. We wouldn't even have to see the evidence. We would just know the evidence that, uh, that there has been a lot of tampering in our well-being. And in fact, in the control section, I have other chapter called The Unhealth Industry, which shows that they've intentionally tried to keep us unhealthy in so many different ways. And as you mentioned, suppress the immune system. That is the easiest. And just now, this whole story of uh, these holistic doctors who are dying because they identified Nagalese in the vaccines, and they were correcting it with this enzyme called GCMAF, and actually turning around autistic children, turning around cancer cases, as well as all these other pathogens that people are carrying. This is the biggest threat to the pharmaceutical industry of all. I mean, can you imagine? $300 billion a year industry for cancer treatment and pills. This could just collapse all that. So I think the number's up to 20 holistic doctors now who have been on the threshold of releasing this data that it's the Nagalese and vaccines that are keeping people in a suppressed state. Uh, there's always a death list, isn't there? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, these scumbags who are doing this, as you said, in the aerospace industry, there's a lot of blood on a lot of people's hands, and they're going to try to keep it quiet till uh, the authorities are kicking down their door. Uh if it came to it, let's just go back to disclosure here for a moment. If it came to it, uh, would you grant immunity to those people who are keeping a lid on UFO disclosure, even if they have blood on their hands? Would you give them immunity in exchange for full disclosure? Well, you know, I think I would. And I really admire the way that South Africa handled their post-apartheid period. They had a Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and I think that's really the only way to, to go about it, because I'm a nonviolent person. I don't believe that you can fight fire with fire, and if we send out the lynch mobs, then we're just as bad as they are. So we just have to put them on trial, lock them up for the rest of their lives. But maybe you're right. Maybe, maybe there has to be a certain kind of immunity granted in order for them to start talking. Otherwise, uh, this is just going to keep going on and on. Uh, you mentioned South Africa, uh, and um, it ties kind of nicely into our, our last little uh, discussion point here, and that is the end of money. Michael mm -hmm. Tellinger from South Africa and the, the whole Ubuntu uh, movement. Yep. Um, I mean, I, I, this is kind of a, a conflict, a point of co conflict for me because I guess I'm I'm still a bit of a rapacious capitalist, and um, I can't wrap my head around you know a world without money. <laughs> well, Tell Richard, I should have yeah. you come out to Burning Man this year because it's all based on the gift economy, and when you give away, it just stimulates a center of the brain that's almost akin to uh, getting a drug fix. 
it just feels good to be generous. Oh, and, I get that. I get that. I mean, the, the whole concept of tithing, for example, in, right. uh, in, in if for, for Catholics or, or um, Christians in general, or many religions subscribe to this idea of their version of tithing. I, I understand that. But I don't understand how a, you know, the human, just human nature to me seems to be built around the idea of building something, um, you know, being driven uh, to earn. And I don't know... I can't see my, my way past that. Well, how about uh, using the model of Star Trek? Remember, that's supposed to be humans 300 years in our future. And there is never a single scene in any Star Trek TV episode or movie where you see them using money. And again, this is supposed to be humans. They just say, chocolate milkshake, and out it comes. And there's got to be a way to do this, because we do live in a world of abundance, you're right. Maybe some people wouldn't have the motivation to study their whole lives to be a brain surgeon, but maybe there would be because maybe just the act of being generous and if everything is, is somewhat equal, um, maybe, maybe we're missing something here. Maybe the, the generosity uh, notion or the, the gift economy, as they call it at Burning Man, is something that... Uh, could be our, the path of the future. I like to think optimistically that uh, we can get beyond this because it, it is it truly is the root of all evil when you get down to it. I mean, it just causes so much suffering in the world, the haves and have nots. There just it seems to me there has to be a better way. Is it is it possible um, in when we talk about disclosure, for example, hmm. uh, that beyond the free energy question? I mean, maybe there's a good reason. Maybe we're not, for, for them keeping a lid on this. Maybe uh, those people in charge of keeping a lid on it know something that we don't, and that if the lid ever comes off, it would cause such a huge a disruption, uh, absolute chaos, blood in the streets. Maybe we're not ready for it. Maybe they know better. <clears throat> Well, the Brookings Institution did a study based on the uh, War of the Worlds radio show. Remember that in 1939? Oh, by yes. Wells? Good old Mercury Theater. Yes. Yeah, where people were jumping out the window and, uh, yeah, going crazy. So, But yeah, that, was the, that was 1939, and I, I think we've grown up since then. And I, I, I would venture to say once again, we are evolving and as a little kid, I used to draw pictures of aliens and UFOs. I still don't know why I did that, but I've just had a lifetime fascination with this. And there's nothing I'd like to see more than a full disclosure. Maybe the U.S. won't be the leader in this. Maybe it'll be China or Russia or Japan, uh, and that'll force the U.S. to play their card. But it seems like the, the stakes are so high because they're talking. we're talking about uh, tools and craft and technology really beyond our wildest dreams. And that's quoting Ben Rich out of uh, the Skunk Works, who had a epiphany on his deathbed and said, I'm going to spill the beans. And he said, we have the technology to send E.T. home and beyond your wildest dreams, technology that we're developing. And this is 20 years ago. So again, think where we could be today. It's kind of scary in a way, but I've always said, Richard, just people have a right to know. People have a right to know this stuff, and if they're not going to tell us, then we're going to figure it out and write books and go on radio shows and 
make sure people are thinking about this because it's very important. Brad Olson, a real pleasure. Thank you so much. I enjoyed this conversation. Thank you, Richard. Brad Olson, O-L-S-E-N dot com. And uh, that's the esoteric series of books, Modern Esoteric, Future Esoteric. All right. My thanks to Albert Vinzel, Ian Robertson. We will be back next week. What do we got going on next week, uh, Albert? Oh, we're going to talk about vaccinations with uh, Dr. Graham Downing and uh, also Jeremy Kagan, uh, filmmaker, producer, director, writer, uh, directed some early Columbo episodes, uh, director of some great films like The Journey of Natty Gann and The Chosen. Uh, will be here to tell us about his amazing near-death experience. That's Dr. Graham Downing on vaccines and Jeremy Kagan on uh, life after death. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.